Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Lucy, it's it's been a bit of a change of feel this week at Stonelands, um, mostly because we got one of our gardeners back for the first time. Obviously, the lockdown rules and things have been sort of loosened a little bit, and we felt it's a good time to get uh, one of our gardeners back. Um, uh, his name is Nigel. Nigel is a fantastic gardener in that he just works He's one of those gardeners, head down. A bit like your husband, actually. Head yep. down, gets on with the work. Gets on with it, like a shire horse. That's it. And I tell you what, in gardening, when you have someone like that in your team, they are invaluable because, mm. you know, you can give them a job uh, and quite a manual task or something that uh, generally other people might, you know, moan about how hard the work is. And they don't, they, you don't get a peep from them. And they literally, they finish the job and it always looks great. So... Yeah. It's oh, been a well fantastic done. week getting Nigel back because we finished uh, all the mowing in one day and we haven't done that since March. And Yeah, because that mowing that mowing's been the bane of your life lately, oh, hasn't it? So... Well, two two days or even sometimes two and a half days, uh, especially in this in what was the warm weather because, you know, those temperatures were quite hard to work in, especially when you're pushing a mower and then pushing another mower, then strimming and then trying to get on the ride-on mower. Um so we got all the mowing done in one day on Thursday and the garden looked absolutely terrific. You know, smooth grass, um, all the areas <laughs> cut, the, the edges all edged Lovely. in one day all at once. And I just thought, yeah, this is this is nice. So I thought it was great getting Nigel back. And, you um, know, just to butt in, Nigel, if you're listening, this is the time to ask for a pay rise. Or just to point to the <laughs> Nigel is one thing but he's not very good on the technology so I don't think he does listen to the uh, the podcast if you do Nigel apologies there but um, I don't think he does listen to this podcast I do tell him about it and he he nods in that way that you know oh that's good for you but uh, I'll stick to Radio 2 (laughs) but um, oh yeah it's just been it's been so nice And, and the great thing is I've been trying to work out how to bring people back. And I know gardeners, head gardeners, and uh, Mm. both big and small gardens all across the UK have been trying to work out how to bring people safely back. And luckily, we do have a separate area at Stonelands where he can base himself. Uh, He's got his own tools, which is great. He brings his own tools, which really helps. And um, yeah, fingers crossed as we go forward. Um, It's only one day a week at the moment. He usually does two days a week. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be 
able to sort that out. Um, but yeah, I've been. It it was a bit of a, a bit of a rev- very strange, and, and all these things are very strange, aren't they? What's been going on? It was very strange to have him back and just uh, just walk down the meadow and suddenly see another gardener mowing the lawns. Yeah. It was it was a bit surreal, to be honest. You know, it's it's a culture shift again. We've we've had it so drummed into us about how to socially distance and and isolate ourselves, and as you say, then when you actually see somebody walking around, it feels not the norm for a while doesn't it and it's uh, yeah. it sort of messes with your head a little bit which and I, I said to you in the past that that's the time when actually it is good to ensure that you do move forward and you do um try to as you say incorporate other people into the workplace because otherwise sometimes then an in 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 an inside kind of like fear or or concern takes over which which mustn't you know we 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 as long as it's sensible and logical and as you say have systems in place where people are using their own tools and given that work in their own space it's okay it's all okay so so yeah that sounds like a good week i on the other hand i've had a bit of a distressing week because my back's still twinging and playing up but i've i discovered something which is oh, um what's that <laughs> well do you know i mentioned i was doing some yoga poses to stretch out my lower back right okay. and there's one called the um child pose where you sort of you kneel on your haunches and then you put your face forward to touch the floor. I was struggling to do it and I was thinking, why is this? Is my back really, really sore that I can't stretch out? It's not that at all. I have developed a lockdown belly and my belly is in <laughs> the way of me getting forward. And I, I'm directly associating this with me learning how to cook sourdough bread. You, you so do realise this goes out in the public, this podcast, don't you? <laughs> I'm mortified. <laughs> There's a little bit there that was never there before. I've developed a separate limb. It's like a be- my my belly is now a, 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 a separate limb to the rest of my body. It's just suddenly oh. appeared. It's I'm all a bit that. Dis- it's all that lockdown food. Yeah, yeah. It's what bread, was it? What, when was it? Uh, was it about what a few days ago? I saw that big feast you had on Twitter from all the veggies oh, you got from your garden <laughs> and the sourdough bread. Yes, I saw that as well. Sourdough so. bread and olive oil. That's what. That's my undoing. Whoops. <laughs> Do you know, and it's interesting you mentioned your weight. Actually, while we're all sharing these things, um, I've actually lost two stone. Yeah, um, well, it, well, that's brilliant. That's since well March, um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big. Ch- people who know me know that I'm a quite a large guy, six six one. Um, I hold my weight well. I think you know, I'm not. I'm not overly. You do, sir. Well, I'm done. not overly obese. I wouldn't say, but I was twenty two stone, which on most in most you know lines is quite a heavy weight. Um, but I've gone down to almost twenty. I'm just shy, just just above twenty oh. stone. So I'm looking forward to breaking through down into yeah. nineteen stone. But yeah, I, I've actually found this lockdown period to be quite, you know, healthy driven. So hang on, you've you've had more rain than me in Devon. Yes, I have. had none, and you've lost two stone. I've put on I don't know what around my tummy. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit hard done by here. <laughs> So, that's not fair. Yeah, well, it, yeah, I think it would usually be yeah the opposite way around. I, I think it, I think it's the lack of cake. I think that's how it is with me. But um, oh. no, I'm I, I'm I'm feeling particularly healthy, and I and I really hope actually good, that good. I can k- keep it going beyond beyond when uh, all of this um, sort of gets back to some normal. Because yeah, yeah, life has taught us a few lessons. I think during this lockdown, and I want to continue with them. Some of them going. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. I've had lots of people saying that about their t- how they're using their time and uh, how the pace of life has slowed down and how that is something that actually we would never have normally have, have experienced. So um, 
Yeah, yeah, I think your thoughts are going to be echoed by by many people. Um, one thing that is a piece of good news. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't mean. I'm not normally negative. I was just putting, <laughs> putting your leg a bit. Um, the roses at East London Hall this yes. week uh, have started looking really, really amazing. And I have, if anyone follows me on Twitter, they'll see that yesterday um, I was at home with a bad back in the afternoon. So I used my time wisely and made a video of all the roses that are flowering at the hall at the minute. Well, not all of them. I mean, I was just saying to you before we recorded, that was probably maybe 60% of the collection of roses that we have at the hall. And there was a good uh, 20 in the video and they're all sorts of ramblers and climbers. And then we've got lots of old shrub roses. We've got uh, Damask, Portland, Bourbon, um, hybrid musks, all sorts of lovely, lovely old roses there. And um, I didn't really appreciate until I made this little video how many we had. And it's been really, really um, a nice project to get my teeth into. I labelled them all up as well because I do know on videos that people want to know what the varieties are. And I thought, well, I'll get in there early because the video contains lots of different types of rose. So um, I know I'll be asked if I don't put them on. So I labelled them all up and I checked them against the Arches Plant Finder just to make sure I wasn't um, using an incorrect name or getting the spellings wrong. So that was a useful exercise in itself. And then I checked against various rose nurseries what the groups of the roses were because I knew roughly as a collection what we'd got, but I hadn't gone through them all individually. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed doing that. That was a lovely afternoon. It's, it's a lovely video, actually. I must say, oh, one thing you. that I think has improved since the start of lockdown compared to now is our video editing skills. Because oh. that was that was a very <laughs> slick video, I must say. Oh, so, thanks. Yeah, no, that's definitely... I think that's something <laughs> we've trying. all improved on, is trying to work out our multimedia <laughs> skills a bit more. So hopefully we'll yeah. see more videos in the future. But um, yeah, same, same at Stonelands. Our roses are just mm. starting to come through. And actually having looked through social media and, and just anecdotally, I, I think a lot of people throughout the land is are having a really good rose year. I think I, yeah. I watched Gardener's World last night and Monty was saying that his roses at Long Meadow were amazing. So mm. I don't think it's, I think it's a universal thing that roses, probably due to having a lot of moisture in the soil at the start of the year and then exactly. those more probably the light intensity um, mm -hmm. and the amount of sunshine we've had has really kick-started the sugars developing and, and putting out a lot of um, rosebuds. Um, and f for me personally at Stonelands, I'm just over the moon because last year, um, and I've mentioned this more than 100 times, we had a really bad deer problem and they <laughs> took out all the roses and um, we had none. Well, we might have had one flower here and there and it just looked, you know, that sort of rose with a stick and a, uh, you know, a flower sticking at the end. So this year, that, just it? to see it full of bud and, Wonderful. you know, and starting to come full of flower. Um, yeah, it really, yeah, it really lifts my soul because when you've had a bad year with pests and disease, just to then the next year be able to get it to work and know yeah. that there's a really good plant there. Uh, yeah, I, I was. Re I'm really excited. Um, so when you say get it to work, does that mean that you've got a freezer full of muntjac? What's going? How did you manage to <laughs> to stop the deer from obliterating it's, the roses this year? Do you know? It's completely or... random. I don't right. know. They just disappeared. The the way that Stonelands is situated, we're on the edge of Dawlish, so um, we're sort of on the edge of town with the countryside to the back of us, and we're actually surrounded mostly by uh, a, a larger estate called uh, Luscombe, the Luscombe House, 
uh, which is owned by the the Hoare family, the bankers, um, mm. famous banking family. Um, and I know that they do control both uh, deer and squirrel on their land. So all I can think of is that they've managed to cull the deer that were coming into the garden or the deer have just moved on to another yeah. patch of of the countryside so it does worry me now knowing that deer can get in the garden that we might get them returning um because to be honest anything i did last year didn't work i tried the sprays electric fences all kinds of things and they managed to Mm. get through everything that i put down but um they're difficult things to control and roses are one of their biggest um you know likes they absolutely love eating the new it's the new shoots so every time it put on a new shoot, it'd just get munched back. And I was really worried that the, for the roses, it would mean it was it happened about three or four times in the year that they were just going to give up or the next year, this year, uh, they wouldn't put on as much growth. But mm. they just seem to have romped. And I think I have been helped by the, 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 weather, the weather conditions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really yeah. helped. Um, I also whacked them back quite hard as well um, especially mm-hmm. our bush modern bush roses I actually took them back a lot harder than I usually would to try and encourage bigger stems and that seems to have worked a treat yeah. because they've put out these big stems and really massive um, they're floribundas so they put on these huge mop heads of flower um, lovely. Yeah, it sounds like everything's aligned it's like, like I say the, the, the moisture really early in the year the lovely lovely warm weather and um, and your, your the cultural methods, like you say, the pruning. I I do like to prune the roses in the winter. It's one of the the major jobs we have at the hall, and I get a real satisfaction out of it. If you've seen the hall and you know pictures of it on social media and, and saw you visited it, we've got some lovely, lovely red brick walls there that yeah. look uh, in themselves. They're so old and crumbly and covered in lichen and um, all sorts of delicious things, and they just look gorgeous in themselves. But then when you get a rose. Um, a, a climber or a rambler sp- sp- sort of splayed up against it, and you, you you manage to get the symmetry of the stems going left and right and arching over to to encourage the blooms to form. I it's a it's a very slow um, methodical process when it comes to pruning our roses, um, especially that some of the very large climbers and ramblers that we have. But I I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's um you strip everything back to the bare bones with the rose pruning we again you know you, you prune back quite hard with the climbers all the side shoots come off of the main stem you're literally just left with the main stem and some little short spurs on there and you can get them looking really really good um and then as march and then april unfolds you see them bursting into leaf and then the first buds appear and then as i say in the last couple of weeks or so then the color comes they they, they open up and you just think Oh yeah, that was that was worth it. They look really, really nice, really nice. And the scent, oh my goodness, oh, yeah. the scent of some of them, especially the old shrub roses that we have. I mean, they were um, they're notoriously um, powerfully scented, and there's 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 such a variation in the different scents of the roses. Some of there's one we've got the um, rosely to the hay, which is a ragosa rose, so sweet and um, spicy, but it's a lovely blend of the two fragrances. And then there's other ones. Um, one I love shoving my nose into is called uh, the Sombre, a, a climbing white rose. And that the scent of that is, it's again, it's a sweet scent, but it's you, you know, it's so different to the rosary de la hay. Um, once you get your nose into the roses and you start sniffing around, that in itself um, is just a delightful thing to do, especially if you have a still warm day. 
And yes. um, the, the shrub rose border at the hall is, is against a south-facing wall. And it's, so it's sheltered. And on the still days, sadly, it's a little bit windy at the minute. We've got this north northerly weather system coming down. So there's a bit of a breeze. But when I was filming the video, it was a, a slightly ca calmer day. Uh, oh, it was just wonderful. The, uh, the other times I've had that experience is when I've been to the big rose gardens. Um, so when I was working for Amateur Gardening magazine, I was lucky enough to visit places like the David Austin Rose Gardens and also, um, is it Mottisfont? No, where, where am I thinking of? Yeah, no, Mottisfont has a big it is rose collection. Yeah. yeah, we went there to be, be taught by the gardener how to prune the roses. And um, that's when you walk into a garden and you actually are hit by the scent of the roses mm. collectively it's just this wonderful sweet heady smell and that is i think that's a very magical unique experience and i i'm not saying that the, the roses at east Dunland are on the scale of that at all but i do get you walk around the corner you get hit by this this lovely sweet scent and yeah yeah just just um very 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 enjoyable <laughs> yeah the the uh, you um rosemore has a because if you've been to rosemore you know that when you come out of the visitor center they have these rooms and one of them is the rose garden and whenever you go in there and it's full full blossom time it is it's, it's like hitting the wall of wall of scent. it carries yeah. you off it's 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 a, it's a very weird sensation isn't it it is Going it's from, magical uh, like um yeah from no scent and then suddenly it's like a dream it's like a dream dream like thing it's it's difficult to put into words because it doesn't happen very often in the garden so just going back to you know how we look after the roses we've talked about the pruning of them and we did talk about it in, in much more depth in one of our earlier um, podcast episodes when we were doing the longer series um when it comes to maintenance now the roses i know you have said in the last couple of episodes that you try not to spray too much at stonelands no. and and i i would love to say i do the same at east donnellund but i think because we grow so many roses and we have big beds of them i think it's almost like we're creating a monoculture of roses and so we had a lot of aphids um early on this year and i did ignore them for a while thinking well hang on i i know that things should jump in like the hoverfly larvae the ladybirds adults and the larvae all you know the I, lace wings all, all those sorts of things i'm hoping we're going to come in and um make the i wasn't expecting them to, to disappear overnight but i wanted the, the balance of the population of the, of the benefit beneficial insects and the, the pests to, to to sort of um come into equilibrium as, as such it didn't happen so i have had to go around and spray these roses for aphids um have you had to do anything like that at stone i know you you have roses but do you don't have a big big beds of them do you i don't know we don't have big beds and we use them in mixed uh borders mostly all the climbing mm. roses up the house um we don't get pest problems we get aphids and i must say this year has actually been there's been a quite a lot of aphids around especially in the last few weeks i've noticed them in a lot of places luckily mm. our birds have cleared a lot of those up so i don't really get a problem with that but i do get mildew it's probably my biggest problem right. um yep. especially when it gets dry uh for those of you who don't know mildew it's one of these weird fungus that thrives in the dry and not mm. in the wet like most fungus so it's got a very weird life cycle actually well well worth having a look if you're scientific at all but um i actually spray and this is a bit of this is where it comes to uh these sort of um home concoctions so i actually spray them with milk funnily enough uh, yes yeah I've yeah that. so diluted yeah. milk um and i find it works quite well it, it's quite hard because you have to get um 
you have to spray at the start when you first see the mildew. If you do it when mm. it's taken over a rose or whatever plant, you're never going to combat it. And in the end, the, the, the plant will succumb. So if you can get at it as soon as you start seeing the first few symptoms of the mildew. And um, I'm not 100 I must look up what the scientific reason behind the milk is. But as far as I understand, and I think, I think this is right, the fungus prefers um, feeding on the milk than it does on the plant oh, itself. See. Right, so yeah, I don't actually, know the mode of action. Yeah, so I mm. think that it actually spread. It actually uses the uses the milk and therefore doesn't yeah. affect the plant. So right. I, as far as I understand, you still see the mildew on the plant, but it's just on the milk instead. But it doesn't Isn't affect things like the buds or the leaves, so you don't get that leaf horrible leaf fall. So... Yeah. I think that's how it works. If someone knows better than me, some some um, epid ep- I can't even say the word epidemiologist. Epidemiologist. That's it. Scientist <laughs> knows how it works. Please let us. Please let us know. But um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the only thing I really spray for the roses. We're very lucky. Uh, we've got a lot of modern cultivars which are black spot resistant. Because the old thought, especially in the West Country, is we couldn't grow roses down here because our air's too clean and black spot is just prevalent. And it used to be like that 20, 30 years ago. But actually, modern cultivar and breeding have almost made that um, not as bad as it used to be. Yeah. And saying that, I mean, I, I thought that the um, the old roses at the Hall, because some of the ones that were growing are centuries, centuries old, I thought that they might struggle with pests and diseases. As I say, I've mentioned aphids, and I did use a rapeseed oil spray to, to combat that. But when it comes to fungal diseases, I, I um, maybe it's because, you know, we're in a drier part of the country, generally, to, to Devon anyhow, so so we don't tend to get the... Um, the conditions suitable for fungal growth, although as we've just said, mildew actually is one of those ones that likes it quite dry. But others, such as the, you know the, the rust and the black spot, mm. they would um, thrive in a more humid environment. We've got it's quite an open site, so it's quite breezy. Um, I say it's quite sunny. Uh, we've got free draining soil. Um, they don't seem to suffer too badly. I've got one or two roses that I know will get mildew, for example. Um, but when it comes to rust and black spot, we, we don't seem to get it. And, uh, yeah, for me, it's more the pests that I need to keep an eye on. And just, again, and I don't want to obliterate them. That's not my, my, um, thinking. I just want to make sure that they don't completely take over, um, so that the, the plants struggle to perform as well as they could do. So it's, it's sort of a very, um, monitored and controlled spraying that I do. And I do, as I say, try to use the organic sprays wherever I possibly can, um, but yeah, so that and, and deadheading, I've been doing quite a lot of deadheading this week as well, just to make things look really, really good. But I was going to say, this is something you and I do differently, because I know we've chat about this. And I know a lot of people do it differently to me, actually, in that they like to deadhead as the flowers go over. But for me, from a working point of view, I actually wait till all the flowers have gone over and deadhead it all at the same time for, for two reasons. It saves me a lot of time, but also I find that, especially for the repeaters, if I do the whole rows at all the same time, I actually get the, display, the second display in late August, September, all mm. coming at the same time as well, rather than it coming now and again. So I do do my deadheading slightly differently. So it's worth thinking. And the other thing I should say about deadheading is it's also worth knowing whether your rose puts on beautiful hips. Yes, because, oh, definitely. Yep. Yeah, because if you take if you deadhead now, uh, you'll actually take out a lot of the really good hips for later in the year. Um, yeah. 
so it's really worth because I love hips because they last, especially the really colourful, really reds or the real orange ones, because they'll give you something really interesting to look at through autumn and winter, and they'll last for quite a long time. And they actually give you sort of a, that double interest on plants that you might not get a second flowering yeah. on. No, I totally echo those sentiments. What I used to do was the way you, you, you deadheaded. I wouldn't do it. I would literally wait. And because, as you say, from a management point of view, it's a lot easier. And then the... Um, the owner's um, family would come and stay often for one week in the summer and there'd be these little comments about, oh, do you want us to help you deadhead <laughs> the roses in the garden? I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I'm going to do them later. And then after a couple of years of them politely saying, um, you know, about, <laughs> do I want the hand with the deadheading? I suddenly clicked that actually maybe <laughs> what they're after is for me to do it, as you say, in a couple of batches. So that's that's the reason I changed. Right. It was the, the, the very subtle, very gentle and polite um, mention by the owners to, that made me change my way. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.